We're back. Okay, so this is a little bit of a surprise segment, and it's not going to name, so feel free to recommend names for it. But I found something on Twitter that I wanted to present to Lauren and get her thoughts on. And I have no idea what this is, by the way. She has not shown me at all, so I'm also surprised. So this is a tweet from Candice Marie Bembo at Candice Bembo, all caps. I know a white woman did not write a book about trap feminist theology. I know she fucking did not. I know that did not happen. 15,000 likes, 481 quote tweets, uh, 1,800 retweets. I will read to you the book. The book. The, the book, whole book. The book, the book description. How long have we got? <laughs> I'm going to show you the cover of the book. It's called Bad and Bougie Toward a Trap Feminist Theology. Okay. And I'm going to show you the author. Okay. <laughs> What you may not be seeing is uh, the author's name is Jennifer M. Buck. Look her up. So first, I will read a segment from the book for you. Addressing this topic, I want to say a word about identity politics. I'm a straight, privileged white woman, and I'm aware that I have not lived the embodied experiences of a trap queen. What is a trap queen? I'm going to tell you in a minute. (laughs) However, I strongly believe that feminism is for everybody. Feminism is intersectional or it is garbage. And to quote Audre Lorde, I'm not free while any woman is unfree, even when her shackles are very different from my own. As Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas reminded us when speaking about liberating spaces, all of us in positions of privilege are to be repenting of our context. As will be explored in this book, white Western normality has been constructed on the backs of black deviants, and that sin must be countered and repented of so that all may flourish. My love and appreciation for hip hop music and the trap subgenre has been cultivated over years, starting with one of my earliest jobs as a hip hop dance teacher in my teens. Into adulthood and through my scholarship, I have come to better understand the depths and complexity of this genre of music and the lives and systems behind it. Okay. <laughs> so, Trap. A trap queen kind of comes from like a trap house. And a trap house is where drugs are sold and or done. Mm-hmm. And a trap queen is like the person in charge of that, like the woman in charge of that. A really fun way that trap queen has been like repurposed. Yeah. It's basically like a bad bitch. Okay, I see. Let's see how she's using it. Bad and bougie toward a trap feminist theology. Trap feminist theology. Yeah. Tell me what you think about it. Well, first of all, I, I feel myself cringing hardcore because I've heard <laughs> a lot of this in other spaces. <laughs> but I mean, my first response is why she thinks she can write about this stuff <laughs> with, and at, I'm at a loss. There seems to be an association or an associated belief that hip hop is, and her experiences of hip hop have given her the knowledge and experience to talk about black women's experiences, <laughs> which I think is um, somewhat misplaced. <laughs> I'm going to put the camera right on you because you need to answer for this as a white woman. Yeah, I well, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put the camera on my face. <laughs> I just think it's really funny because like, first off, it's got 16 reviews and they're all one star. Well, yeah. about right. And my favorite, I've got two favorite ones. One of them, the subject line is there's loads black feminists can speak for themselves. Well, yes. One of my favorite ones. And then another one is I'm embarrassed to be a white woman. 
<laughs> I mean, I felt that I was cringing hard. <laughs> and it's, yeah, sort of like, well, then how do you unpack all of it? I think there's just this dark assumption that because somebody likes a genre of music mm. or I don't know, it's, it's got to like my friend is black kind of thing attached to it. Like, oh, don't so worry. Much. I was a hip hop dance teacher when I was a teenager. I just can't. And cope. also the name of it. It's kind of got like, I'm, I'm with the crew. If you like bad and bougie, I know hip hop, I'm with the crew. And, and while she acknowledges that she's a privileged white woman, she's not giving up her space as a privileged white woman. I've seen this so much over the past few weeks where people will acknowledge I'm white, I'm privileged whatever but then they'll still speak or they will still <laughs> fill that space like if yeah. you're gonna act on it step out like we don't even need to hear you say that you're white and privileged we all know it. i can see it yeah yeah we all have an it's awareness there. i've got it so i think we're transitioning into that space of like not talking about it becoming aware of it but not giving up our seat yeah which may hopefully lead to people actually giving up their seats so i'm just gonna leave the van right now okay <laughs> fine yes i'll just this conversation by myself <laughs> <laughs> giving up your seat in the van that i own yeah we'll get another guest <laughs> okay, the thing that strikes me so much and normally like we are lovers of the written word and i think that books can be for everyone i think that there's always something to learn i'm finding it hard to figure out what the learning space is in this one for me because it just feels so much of a taking of a thing that doesn't belong to you like language, phraseology, cultural references that are so deeply ingrained in a very particular genre of music that's rooted in identity. And if you go and you look at the book, just go look at the cover of the book. Go do it right now. I'll give you a second. All right, we're all freaking out, right? Like, <laughs> it just feels like it's so much of a taking of a thing. The rootedness, the ability for the author to speak just doesn't seem to exist based on the definition of why, on why they think they should be able to speak in this space or to use that language or whatever. And that's because like, I'm, I feel like words have a lot of meaning and the way that they're used and who uses them, it embodies power, it embodies privilege, it embodies experience, it embodies so many different things. But I just, I had to stop and make a little segment about it for you because I wanted you to apologize to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> My whiteness is cringing. <laughs> well, and this is, this is what you're good for. Okay. <laughs> Remind us all where we should be and where we should not be. Exactly. Why do you think you're very good at stepping back? You're very good at like knowing your place. <laughs> <laughs> I can only say that because I'm another woman. I feel like it would take a different meaning if I said that I was a man. But why is that hard? Like, why is it hard for people to do that? I mean, if you're able to project yourself into the minds of some people, why do you think it's so important for people to say, I know, I know, I know what I am, but not realize the steps that they need to take following on from that? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And again, I can't speak for other people's minds, but I would assume or hazard a guess that people are just so used to having space to say and, and have such a, I guess, a ego behind <laughs> their knowledge and what they think they're offering to that space that they're kind of failing to think back at, am I really needed here? Or, and I think taking that, that step back is 
also as compounded by other things like I've done some work, therefore I need to offer it in this space. Or I work in an organization where it's mostly men and I'm a woman, therefore I want to fill this space. So I think probably, unfortunately, there's a degree of other things that compound people's actions in that space and they fail to see that actually race is and gender is a key component of what I should be considering before I speak. And naturally wanting to speak and share your thoughts, like we're all wired to do that. So I think there's a huge mind shift in terms of like, actually my voice is not needed here. I think that's a really generous way of putting it. Am I being generous? No, no, because I think it is really hard and it's Mm. hard to ask yourself the question of, am I needed here? And we see this in, you know, I don't mean to reposition myself, but I can because I'm brown. I think we see this in our work where people say, or people ask us, okay, well, so you're going to go and fly to a particular country to do this field work. I use field work accidentally. I hate that phrase. Use your quote. I'm using my quotes. Field work. (laughs) (laughs) So people will ask us, you know, okay, is there a bit of budget for you to go do in-person data collection? Say, well, no, because you've got competent, knowledgeable experts. We don't need to do that. And that seems to be a weird shift. I think it's because in our sector, people are used to having like a bunch of white people zipping around in space, landing and researching or evaluating. And I think the idea of stepping back a little bit and saying, oh, there's people who can do this <laughs> and decentering, you know, our expertise and our knowledge, though not too much because I'd still like to get paid. Oh, the reality. <laughs> <laughs> there is a tension and that tension exists with my mortgage. But asking the question, am I needed here is, is yeah. one that's, is, and I think it's really hard. I was doing that for a long time with meetings and because um, I got a, a new boss at the time who was great. And he was like, if you're in a meeting and you don't think you should be there, then it's perfectly acceptable for you to get up and leave because meetings are time wasters. I'm inclined to agree. So I'd often ask myself, am I really needed here? But I probably asked myself that more often than not and just got up and left because I didn't feel like being because <laughs> sometimes you don't need a, a meeting for things. So maybe it's about normalizing that question. Yeah. And I think we should probably do another podcast about called Am I Needed? Because <laughs> I think there's a lot of things to unpack there. Yeah. Well, so I'm really glad that this, my little Twitter segment got us into an interesting space and yes. got us into a question about where people should be positioned. And obviously every conversation we have, I feel is one that's like a starting place for something else because they're deeper and they're nuanced. And we talk a lot about these things, but a five hour podcast is probably a bit hard to digest. A bit much. A bit much. So yeah. Thank you, Lauren, for my segment called What I Found on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Until next time. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.